So I've been waiting a while to preach this, this text that we'll be looking at this morning. This ministry report that Jesus gives to John. And we'll get into it in a minute. But I've been wanting to preach this since uh, about this fall when I was sitting at a leadership board meeting. And for those of you who are new or don't know what that is, a leadership board is uh, one of the leader, leadership groups of our church that meets in Nelson. Kind of helps with uh, things for, the, for our site here, but also the Nelson and the Junction site. And uh, part of that meeting is we commonly have a, a ministry time of ministry reports from each site. And I was listening to the sites, and, and first the Nelson site uh, made their report. And they were talking about, you know, we had this event and that event, and, and this program's going well, and this program's doing good, and a little bit of trouble here. And, and we talked about events and programs. And then, and then Deb, uh, Deb Story, our, our person who sits on that board, or on that meeting, or in that meeting, you guys need to pray for her. <laughs> it is not how she's wired, but she goes there faithfully. Um, and she gave her report, and she talked about, uh, it was in the fall, so she talked about our harness carnival, and talked about the, um, the dessert theater coming up, and events and programs that we were doing. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's talking about the stuff that we do as a church, the things that we do as a church. And, and then Jesse gave his report for the junction. I don't remember what else he said, except for he said, we're baptizing a handful of people next week. And I was thinking, you know, we were talking a lot about the stuff, the activities that we're doing, and and those things are good, but sometimes we focus on the stuff we do as a church rather than the fruit that we are meant to be producing, the fruit that God desires in terms of people coming to faith, people flooding into God's kingdom, people being baptized. And I started realizing that we, um, there, we were talking about stuff and how that can happen as a church. We focus on the stuff that we're doing, the events that we're having, and the programs that we're running. But we can lose sight of what we're here to do. What we're here to do as a church. This church is here as a mission to this community. To be a place where we can gather and praise God and give Him His worship, but also as a mission to our community. And it struck me because I, this actually this week... Uh, I was reading in a book uh, about this church called, uh, it was actually a church in Atlanta. And this is a tiny little church, and, and they started having trouble paying the bills. So they had a great idea. We'll, we'll, on Friday night, we'll have a chicken dinner. You can imagine what fried chicken tastes like in Atlanta from a church, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. So it went well. They had people come. And she said, you know, we're on to something here. Let's, let's have another chicken dinner. And they started having these chicken dinners. And I'm kidding you not. They said, we started to realize that we needed more time. So we actually started doing less stuff as a church so we had more time to focus on the chicken dinners. That church actually closed. And all that's left is Church of God Grill where they make chicken dinners. And it's, I mean, I, that's, all the, that's the only part I know about it. And hopefully there's more to the story, but... It's powerful for me as I think about how they were so focused on making chicken dinners. They stopped doing the work of the church to the point that the church closed and all they had left was God of, uh, Church of God Grill. And I think about our ministry reports at the leadership board and how we talk about programs and, and events and stuff like that. And those things are good. Like That's an opportunity for us to connect with our community. And at first I started thinking, like, man, where's the healing? Where's, uh, where's the people coming to faith? And, and, you know, listening this morning, I'm reminded that it is happening here in our church. 
You know, listening to Jim and Bernie praying for her brother and for her mom. Mark praying for Doug's surgery. And, and as we, I mean, two have been praying for the stories this week. They're actually going to uh, Vancouver today um, for, for Dave's consultation. But there is healing happening here. I mean, I'm meeting in our home with people from, uh, with Jordan and Danielle and with Wayne, people who are new to faith and want to know more about Jesus. People are coming to faith here too. But I was thinking about that, that leadership board, I mean, I, and I, it was actually there that this passage came to me, that I started hearing these words. When John asked Jesus, are you the one or should we wait for another? I think about what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, well, we're having this event and we're, we're starting up this program and this new ministry. He said, the blind receive sight, the disabled are walking, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf are hearing, the dead are raised, and the gospel is being preached to the poor. And it just, it just burns in me. As I think about Jesus' ministry report compared to our ministry report, and I think about my friends, I mean, these are faithful people at the leadership board, people who love Jesus and who are on mission, who are cultivating God's kingdom in the place where they live. But as we were talking about it, I realized that we were talking about uh, programs and, and events and stuff. And I think maybe because, maybe because we hadn't heard how God was healing people that month, or maybe because sometimes we start focusing on doing church, doing events, make sure we get here on Sundays, that we forget about the reality that we are also called to be the church. To be the church in our community as well. To cultivate God's kingdom around us. And I started wondering if maybe some of you have had this feeling too. Maybe some of you have questioned this or start thinking, you know, I'm not sure if I want to just do church anymore. If I just want to, you know, if my faith is, feels like it's growing into more than just whether or not I come on Sunday mornings. We don't want to just be so focused on the events and the programs and chicken dinners that we stop being the church. And we start wondering, you know, is there, what does a ministry report look like for us? If you would take a look at, at this, it's um, in your bulletin. This is um, the passage. If you want to, sorry, if you have your Bibles, open, that's even better. Open that up to Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. So John is in prison, um, and he asks, uh, when John had heard in prison what Christ or what the Messiah was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who has come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you, what you hear and see. The blind will receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is a man who does not fall away on account of me. That is Jesus' prophetic way of saying the kingdom of God has come. God's great king has brought God's great kingdom with him. Where the king is, the kingdom is. But it wasn't like people expected. It wasn't like what John had expected. You see, for centuries, the people of God had been waiting for a savior, for a messiah. They've been waiting for one who would come like a prophet, a prophet like Moses, a great king from the house of David. 
They were waiting for a servant of the Lord who by his wounds they would be healed. They were waiting for, uh, for a Savior to come and to bring God's new covenant where God's Spirit would fill his people. No longer would they have hearts of stone, but hearts of flesh. And God would gather the nations in to his people. But the thing is, in their mind they had an idea of what this looked like. And it looked a lot more like a great king riding in on a, on a white stallion with an army behind him and all the captives in tow. Like a great military general riding into the city after having won a great victory. They expected the Messiah to, to run the, the Romans all the way back to Rome to finally make Israel Israel again so they could worship God the way that they were meant to. They expected Jesus not only to be a great military leader, but also a great religious leader. I mean, John, when he talked about one who's coming after me, I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with fire and the Spirit. John was expecting a great religious leader, too, who would bring revival to the people of God. And then you have Jesus. Jesus, who walks around and teaches and heals. You have Jesus, who's not in Jerusalem, the, the center of God's people, the, the control room of the universe, but in Galilee, land of the Gentiles, eating meals and, and talking with fishermen and tax collectors. He didn't fit John's idea. So, I mean, you, you can excuse John. You can understand why maybe John's sitting in prison thinking that the Messianic age had come, that Messiah had come, and everything was going to be different. You can understand why he's sitting in prison and says, Jesus, are you really the one, or should we expect another? To which Jesus replies to his disciples that John had sent to him. He tells, go and tell John this. Go and tell John that the blind receive sight, that the disabled are walking, that lepers are cleansed, that the deaf hear, that the dead are raised and the good news is preached to the poor. Go and tell him this good news. Now we hear this and it's obviously miraculous. I mean, for blind people to receive sight, for people who are deaf to suddenly start hearing, for people who are dead to be raised. That's good news. That's miraculous stuff. And it fits with what Jesus had been doing up to this point. In Matthew's Gospel, uh, the chapters leading up to chapter 11, chapter 8 through 10, he talks a lot about Jesus healing people. Healing the centurion's servant, or the Roman uh, general's servant. Talked about Jesus uh, healing a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, which means like she could never join in any of the religious uh, ceremonies of the day. Jesus healed her. Or about Jairus' daughter, a man whose daughter had died, and, she, and he came to Jesus asking for help, and Jesus raised her from the dead. All these healings were happening and leading up to Jesus, sending out his disciples, saying, go and teach and heal. Demonstrate to people that God's kingdom had come. Jesus was bringing God's kingdom and showing people what it looked like. Teaching them what it looked like. Teaching people that the kingdom of God looks like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And he walked around healing people, 
making people whole. We hear these stories, how, like for example, how Jesus healed a man with a withered arm in the synagogue. It was a story wrapped around Jesus healing on the Sabbath. But what we don't understand, like we get, like he healed his arm, like we think, wow, the guy could write again. He could, he could do things that you need two arms for. What an amazing healing. I think we often miss the, the social healing that came with that. Because he was cast out because his arm didn't look right. And in that society, he was, looked like he was unclean, like somehow God was punishing him. And so they would keep him out of society. They would throw him away. Sort of like we do with people in our society, with people with addictions or mental illness. How our society throws people away. Jesus healed him. Not just his arm, but his place in society. His place among God's people. He restored him. So we see how miraculous this is, that Jesus healed him. But it's interesting when you start hearing what Jesus did, and you start lining that up with echoes of Isaiah, a prophet who spoke about what it will look like when God comes. Isaiah spoke, he's in Isaiah 35, he said, Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those who have feel for hearts, say to them, be strong and do not fear, for your God will come. He will come with vengeance and divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then, then the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The, will, the, the disabled will leap like deer. And the, mute, uh, the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. Isaiah gives us a picture of what it will look like when God comes and lives with his people again. But Isaiah doesn't stop there. In Isaiah 61, he, God, speaks, or God speaks to Isaiah and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has sent me to proclaim good news to the poor. Sounds a lot like Jesus' ministry report. Good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, and release from darkness for the captives, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, an oil of gladness instead of mourning, and garments of praise instead of a spirit of despair. That they would be called oaks of righteousness, a planting by the Lord for His glory and for His splendor. This is what it looks like when God shows up. This is what it's going to look like when God comes and dwells with us again. And this is what Jesus is doing. You know, we say, you know, Emmanuel, a lot of, around the season of Christmas and around Advent, it's not just a name. It means God with us. God coming to live with us again. So John asks, are you the one we've been waiting for or should we expect another? And Jesus says to him, if I could sort of paraphrase it, John, one prophet to another, people are being healed, the dead are being raised, and the gospel is being preached to the poor. What do you think? John, realize what's happening here. Realize that when God comes, that when, when God's great king comes, he brings God's great kingdom. 
Do you see this happening here? Do you see the connections with Isaiah and the echoes of the prophet Isaiah coming here to show us who Jesus is and that the kingdom of God has actually come and what it looks like? Yes? No? Yeah? <laughs> okay, so we see what's happening in the scriptures. What does this mean for our lives? That's a great question. What does this mean for us? How do we live this out? Well, let's, let's work this out together. What does this mean for our lives? Like, what do we learn from the fact that Jesus came? Not only did he reconcile us to our Father in heaven, forgive us for our sin, and give us hope of heaven when we die, but he also brought his kingdom that brings wholeness to people. Looking at this text, thinking about this passage for months now, I see two basic things. The first is that Jesus lived into their lives. The second is this. He lived into their lives while he lived out the kingdom in front of them. He lived into their lives while he lived out the kingdom in front of them. Okay, so that sounds sort of like pastor talk. What do you mean, lived into their lives? Jesus came and dwelled with us. God came and lived with us. We have a big fancy word, our incarnation, and people talk about incarnational. That means come and live, our God came and lived with us. You know, Jesus, I mean, he's God. I mean, God is God. He could have stayed in heaven. He didn't have to come and and take on flesh and bone and live among us. He didn't have to come and become an infant child. Born not in some fancy palace, but in a manger in a tiny little town of Bethlehem. God came and took on flesh and lived among us. Paul, trying to talk with the Philippians, the church in, the, in Philippi, was trying to explain this to him. Talking with them about, about humility, he says, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be snatched at. But he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a person, or even the nature of a slave. And then, then being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Now I know we've been, we've, like, people have been following Jesus for 2,000 years. So we hear that and we, like, yeah, I've heard that story before. Man, I never get over the reality that God, the creator of all the cosmos, God who dwells in heaven, who sits on the throne and orders everything, became human and lived among us. God put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. God didn't just airdrop grace, fly over and drop and hopefully people pick it up and it it means something for them. He put his feet on the ground, walked through through the dry, dirty dust of Israel, of Judah, of Galilee, and lived among us. This helps us see how we are called to live among our community. And I know, like, you're all thinking, like, what are you talking about, Jason? We, we do live among our community. And I know that some of you are doing it on purpose. You're connecting with your neighbors. You're blessing them. And I want to encourage you. But I also want to remind us of a, as a church that there's a difference between living near your neighbor and living with your neighbor. And I think as Christians, we are tempted at times to live near our neighbors. You know, and it's, and it's a fact. 
I mean, majority of Christians, the longer that they are Christian, the fewer and fewer non-Christian friends they have. The fewer and fewer people they know outside of the church. And pretty soon you realize that if you aren't paying attention to it, that you just end up living near your neighbors. You're not really living with your neighbors. And so I think about us as a church, and you know, as we can get involved with events and with programs, things that are good, that are a blessing to people. But sometimes, especially some of the leaders in the church, they can be so busy meeting for church that they have no time to meet with their neighbors. No time to sit across a table and share a meal together. So I see that Jesus, when he came and, and brought his kingdom, he moved into the neighborhood. He lived with people, not just near them. I mean, think about it. God could have just dropped the Bible from the sky. Sorry to disappoint. He didn't actually do that. Anybody who thought that was what he did. But he didn't just drop the Bible and say, read this and figure out how to be close to me. No. God came and lived among us. And you want to know what it's like to, or you, maybe some of you are wondering, like, okay, Jason, so I get the near and the with thing. What do, how do I do that? It's, it's easy. It's simple. It's not complicated. I mean, it's complicated in the amount of time it takes to do it. I know you're busy people. We just have to take time out. Be with people. And by be, I mean bless people. Bless your neighbors, people living next to you. I mean, easy one to think about today, like uh, how much snow we have, when you're shoveling out your walkway to go and shovel someone else's walkway. I look at Jerry because I know he does that. <laughs> to bless people. Another easy one is to eat with people. Share a meal with your neighbor. I know, like, and I think about this, how hard it can be to do that. I mean, you come here on Sunday and you have church and you go home Sunday afternoon and you just rest and relax. And then Monday you get up in the morning, you go to work, you come home, you have supper, you get up Tuesday and you do the same thing over again until Friday and then Saturday you've got some stuff to do. And next thing you know, it's Sunday again. We can be so busy with our lives that we don't set time aside to be with our community or to be with our friends and our neighbors who aren't a part of this church yet or aren't a part of any church yet. So I'm saying set time aside to eat with them, to encourage them. Don't be satisfied or don't get lulled into being near your neighbors. Be with your neighbors. Live into their lives. So we see the first thing Jesus did is he lived into their lives. The second thing is this. He lived out the kingdom in front of them. Jesus lived as the king of the kingdom right in front of people. He did kingdom things right in front of people. And I know maybe you're thinking, okay, what does that mean, Jason? Live out the kingdom. It means this. Live as kingdom people now. Live as saved, as redeemed kingdom people now. Kingdom people are humble. Kingdom people are gracious. They are kind. They make sacrifices for the sake of others. They bless those who curse them. They pray for their enemies. They bring reconciliation between neighbors. Live out the kingdom in front of people now. This is what the kingdom looks like. And I actually I learned this from Mike Frost. He's a pastor that I met or that I heard speak at, um, at Midwinter. 
He talked about the kingdom as a few things. I mean, there's lots of things that are part of the kingdom, but some of the things you were talking about, one, was the kingdom is about reconciliation, about reconciling people, bringing people together. Fundamentally, the kingdom has made us, has reconciled us to our Father in heaven. That is the central gospel. That is the center of the good news. That because of Jesus, because of his life, death, and resurrection, we have been made right with God. We've been reconciled with God. Go and talk with your neighbors about that. Find that, that opportune place. I mean, some people do great when you show up at their door and you hand them a tract. A lot of people in our community I haven't found that to be so helpful. But talk, spend time with them. Talk to them about how God has made us right through his son. But also bring reconciliation between people. And I talked about this just a minute ago, but I mean, think about how, how this demonstrates the kingdom in front of people. When you've got one neighbor who hasn't talked to the other neighbor in 15 years because something that went wrong with the water pipe. How you can be a person of reconciliation. I see Marg laughing. Getting too close to home, Doug? <laughs> Doug's the water guy, for those of you who don't know. He, he works for the, for the um, RDCK and does the water stuff in our community. I know some of the stories he's told me about people in our community who, you know, something goes wrong with water and they're at each other. And they're at each other for years. That we, but we as kingdom people can bring reconciliation. We can bring that one neighbor and the other together. We can invite them both over for a meal. Maybe they don't talk to each other, but at least they're in the same room together. And maybe things start to break down. And maybe they are reconciled over time. As kingdom people, we bring reconciliation. As kingdom people, we bring justice. We cultivate God's justice in our community. The kingdom of God is a place of justice. We serve a just God. There are injustices here in Balfour. I know it's a small community and we don't see it a lot, but there are people who are struggling here. There are people who are living on old age pension, who are barely scraping by, who live most of their life alone because people have forgotten them, because their kids live somewhere else and they're alone. That's not right. There are people who live in our community who are abused. It's not right. So we go and we encourage them. We find them. We talk with them. We help them find help. We bring justice. And we talk about beauty. The kingdom of God is immense with beauty. And I know we live in this amazing place. I mean, look at out there. It's, it was like blizzard earlier. Now the sun is shining. The mountains are going to be beautiful. We live in a beautiful place. But when you take your eyes, when you stop looking up at the mountains and you start looking at the community around us, there is ugliness here too. People who are struggling. People who are addicted. People who need help. So we go and we bring beauty. We bring beauty through art. Expressions of arts, hobbies, blessing other people. I think about tapestry last fall and the way the church has gathered and, and expressed our love of God in art. That blesses people. It reminds people that there is beauty in this place, that God's kingdom is a place of beauty. But God's kingdom is also a place of wholeness. And I'm, I'm so grateful for how God worked this out today, that God's, play, God's kingdom is a place of wholeness. And I'm thankful for Jim that he sent me that email and I called him today and let him know that, or sorry, this week earlier and said, you know, I've been thinking about you, Jim, and praying for you and 
And I got to tell my son, Shalem, who's been praying for Jim for weeks. There's Jim, Shalem. That's the guy you've been praying for. He was so excited. He was so happy to see you. But God is bringing wholeness. That's what God's kingdom is about, too. Healing whole people. Healing bodies. Healing hearts. The things that we wrestle with. Healing those of you who have wounds that you are still working through. Pain that is still hurting you. Things from when you were a kid, maybe abuse. Maybe uh, people that you knew you were supposed to be able to trust and yet they let you down. People who hurt you. And you're still working through that. God's kingdom is a place of healing. Not just of our bodies, of our limbs, but also of our heart. It's a place of healing of our soul. Making us realize that we can have a relationship with our Father in heaven, with God, the Lord of all creation. The God who created us and desires to have a relationship with us. The God who loves you. You can have a relationship with him. You can follow him and it changes everything about our lives. This is what the kingdom looks like. And we desire to see more of it. Am I right? We desire to see more of God's kingdom. We desire to see people in our community. We desire to see the blind seeing again. We want to see people who are disabled walking again. We want to see people who have diseases healed. We want to see the deaf hearing again. We want to see those who are dead. We want to see them raised. We want to see them raised to life. We want to see the poor of our community receiving the good news about the kingdom of God, about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want to see these things. We want to see families. Uh, We want to see families brought back together. We want to see marriages reconciled. We want to see children mentored. We want to see more kids in our community graduate from high school. We want to see more of the elders of our community cared for. We want to see the abused sheltered. We want to see the addicted set free. We want to see the alone brought into community. We want to see more of God's kingdom here in our community. And we do this by living into their lives while we live out the gospel, while we live out God's kingdom. Are you with me on this? So maybe you're thinking, okay, I see Jason generally, you know, live into people's lives while I live out the kingdom. How do I get started? I mean, what can I do this week to start doing that? I want to encourage you. Live into other people's lives while you live out the kingdom by doing this one thing. Bless people. Bless three people this week. I know it sounds horribly simple, doesn't it? I mean, like, yeah, it's going to take some time, but that's it, Jason? Bless people? Yes. Bless three people this week. Bless one person who's in this room, who's in church with us. Bless one person that we go to church with. Then make sure we bless one person that's not a part of any church. And then the third is you get to do whatever God's calling you to do. Bless whoever. Your choice. But bless three people this week. Think about that, how that begins to work out in this, in this church here. As we bless each other. I mean, what, there's probably 50 people here right now? 60 people. And you start blessing each other, blessing our kids, blessing the teachers out there. And how that begins to, to multiply. It's like a chain reaction as you are blessing each other. And blessing begins to grow in this community, in this church. 
But think about how that begins to affect people outside of the church too. As we bless people in our community in the ways that that is, begins to shape things and to demonstrate God's kingdom. Not that the good news is just something about, you know, about personal faith and about heaven we die, as amazing as that is. That's hard for some people to grasp. But when you start showing them what the kingdom looks like, they start to get it. Bless people. Bless three people this week. For those of you who, who love to bless people, that comes easy for you. You're like, awesome, I'm going to go out and do it. For those of you who are wondering, like, okay, I, I get blessing, but what should I do? I mean, I don't even... It just seems like so broad. What should I do? Let me suggest, these are just suggestions. Three things. Okay? Encourage someone. Just encourage someone. Give someone a note or a card. Just encouraging them. Something that you see in them that maybe, and trust me, you're not going to hurt anybody's feeling by recognizing a gift in someone and saying, you have an amazing gift. Bless you. I was thinking about it, like I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I was walking here to, to the church, and I saw a guy in our community who runs a business, and I stopped and I just started talking with him. And I just, you know, we're just talking, shooting the breeze, and I just want to say, you know, I'm really grateful, uh, Dan, for what you do in our community. And the ways that you, you work hard and you have a great business in our community, the ways you provide job, jobs for people, and the ways that you mentor some of the young guys on your crew, guys who look up to you, I just got to encourage you. And it, didn't, it wasn't a lot. It took me like five minutes. And it was a huge blessing to him. And he doesn't even go to a church at all. And yet it was good for him. Encouragement doesn't have to be elaborate. It just needs to be genuine. To just genuinely tell people, I see this gift in you. Paul, I'm grateful for the gifts that you have, the ways that you care for people. Bless you in that. We just do those things and bless people. The other thing, so encourage people. The next one is give a gift. Now let me, before you start freaking out, give a, give a small gift. You know, and if, if you feel God calling you to do something huge, then, then obey, do that. But I can tell you, you know, there's people in our community generally, you know, there's a certain like, kind of size of gift where people, they stop forgetting the gift they receive and they start getting worried about how am I going to repay that? boy, how am I going to give them something back? And it almost like ruins it. But just a small gift. Something small that says, like, I'm listening to you and I, and I know who you are. And this is totally a cop-out because she's my wife, but it's the best example I could think of. <laughs> is that on Friday, Tracy called me and said, hey, man, I wish we had one more car. Don't worry, nobody bought us a car. But <laughs> she said, I wish we had a car because, man, I need a Dr. Pepper right now. So bad I need a Dr. Pepper. You know Tracy? I went to the, uh, I mean, to talk with people at the super, even they know how bad she needs a Dr. Pepper. And so, sorry, babe. I didn't ask if I could tell the story. But, but anyway, so I called her, she said, you know, but and I'm trying to cut back, I, you know, and I said, you know, you're right. You know, it's, it'll be good that you don't have one today. You know, it's like build up your strength and your resistance, and I was trying to encourage her, and it's kind of playing like, you know what, you're right, babe. It's probably, I know it's going to be hard, but you'll be okay. I hung up the phone, I jumped in the truck and I went to Superette and I bought her Dr. Pepper. And I brought it home and I showed up the door and I knocked. And I said, here, Dr. Pepper, I love you. And I turned around and went back to church and started working again. It doesn't have to be elaborate. 
But it shows her that I care about her and that I know who she is. I know how important Dr. Pepper is to her. <laughs> Those sort of things. I mean, we had some friends this week who were going through a hard thing and we bought them flowers because we care about them. I mean, small things like that. They bless people. So we encourage people. We give gifts. The second thing is we help people. We just show up and we help. I mean, it looks like it's already starting to melt, so you don't have to shovel anybody's driveway this, you know, this morning, but you're off the hook. But, but just help people. Just show up at their house and, and help them with a project they're working on or, or find out that they're knitting something, Mark, and, and you say, let me help you with that. I'd love to knit some toques for you too. Help people. That's what I want you to do this week is to bless people. Bless three people one person in this church, one person who is not a part of any church at all, and one person, whoever God leading you to, <laughs> encourage them. Give them a gift. Help them. I know it's not hard, right? I know you're thinking like, man, how am I going to have time for this, Pastor? Trust me, it's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. To bless three people this week. Imagine what this begins to look like as we do this or as we, I actually, to be more honest, as we continue to do this, because I know many of you are doing these things already. Imagine how it begins to, to ricochet around in this church as we bless each other. Imagine how it begins to ricochet around in our community, the conversations we begin to have as we bless people who aren't any part, a part of any church at all. I've got to tell you, God is doing something in me. This passage, I've been waiting to preach it for months. And I've been, God has been, and this is, I mean, God's been building on this. And I've got to tell you, I am, I'm feeling more and more at, or, um, less and less at ease with just doing church. I'm feeling less and less at ease with living near my neighbor. I want to live with my neighbors. God is doing this in me. And this knot in my stomach that's uh, the only time I feel at ease is when I'm out in our community talking with people. I know some of you are doing the same things, walking and having intentional conversations. Sorry, not intentional. I hate that word. So many people use it. But purposeful. Conversations on purpose with people to encourage them. Imagine what this begins to look like as we see more of God's kingdom. We see people showing up here loving God. We see people showing up here loving others. And we see lives transformed. We see God's kingdom cultivated and growing around us. Imagine how exciting it's going to be to see more of that. To see more of the blind receiving sight. To see more disabled people walking. To see people with diseases healed. To see the deaf hearing again. To see the dead raised. And to see the gospel preached to the poor. Imagine seeing more of God's kingdom here. Amen. Amen.